Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, friends. Good afternoon. Hi. We are so thankful that you're sitting in on our conversation about the book, Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry. And we had originally planned on just taking a couple episodes to talk about the book, But we ended up having such a great time together that we're adding a third episode to hopefully wrap the book up today. Just maybe it depends on how great a conversation we just get going here. But last time we talked about Hannah's life as a mother and Barry's view on modern education. And and we just started to touch into how to live your mothering life when your children uh, began to fly the nest. And again, we ran out of time um, just when we got to the part about Hannah's children growing up. So because many of us have growing up children or grown children, we we wanted to spend some time on that, uh, maybe starting with the teenage years. Uh, for those of you who have teenagers or have had teenagers, this transition years between a child and adult, I think for many of us mamas, we're, I think we're like a little bewildered by these years. And um, we want to, you know, we want, we want to jump into Hannah's uh, life as the mother of adult children. But before we do that, I would love to hear from both Karen and Renee, who have had a slew of teenagers. And um, what is it, what does it look like to be a mom of teenagers? And then in the book specifically, not only uh, Margaret and the boys, but also Verge or Virgie, Hannah's grandson and his, his, his leaving and the kind of the struggles he, he had in his teenage years. So as we begin part three, we see Barry revisiting this idea of just living right on come what may. And we're going to, we're going to continue this story of, of loss and gratitude but those teen years are such a big part of that. So do either of you want to jump in on, I guess, how do you live right on in a true transition tumultuous time of a human's life, their teen years, and you're walking alongside them with it? Um, I'll jump in here and uh, remind everybody how um, Margaret was so close to Mrs. Feltner 
course, she was able to, they made a path between their homes and she was able to go through the fence from the time she was little. And, um, and I love how Margaret had that community to help raise her. Um, but on page 114 in my copy, I'm going to just read up two little paragraphs about describing Margaret's relationship with Hannah, because I think all of us who have teenage girls or maybe preteen girls even, or who've raised them can relate to this. And I love it. I have it underlined and starred in my book. So it's describing Margaret and it says, she was self-possessed and industrious, good-hearted and quiet and plenty smart. In school, she was always, I think, a sort of model student, as able to please as she was anxious to please. When people outside the family most often thought of to call her was a fine girl. She loved Nathan and got along with him so well that I sometimes envied him. There was a passage of time when she and I got on each other's nerves and were often at outs. It wasn't altogether her fault. I was as anxious about her as grandmom had been about me. I knew she had sense, but I was afraid she wouldn't use it when she needed it. Even then, I think I knew I was spending too much time telling her things she had already figured out for herself. But I couldn't bear not to tell her, and she couldn't bear to hear me. Later, when she was finally grown up and we were friends again, she said that what infuriated her the most was knowing she agreed with me. And obviously, I, I love this passage so much because raising teenage girls myself, I know what this is like, and I know that you do too. I love the line, um, I think I knew I was spending too much time telling her things that she had already figured out for herself. And she and I couldn't bear not to tell her, but she couldn't bear to hear it. And, you know, that's universal in the world of raising teenage girls because there are things that we need to say and we have to say because we're the mom. And at the same time, our anxiety can cause us to say even more than we need to say or with a tone of voice that we don't need to use, but that we do use because we're so anxious and because we really, really, really want to say the things and we want to know that they hear the things. And at the same time, we kind of know that they don't want to hear the things. And so it's a circular, a circular thing, but there's hope at the end of it all because, you know, it says that later they were friends again. And, and it's not like it's all bad all the time when they're teenagers. It's, it's, it's good days, bad days. It's good moments, hard moments. Um, and so that's, that's helpful too. It's not always, it's not always hard. So if you have a tween and you're just thinking, Oh my goodness, my daughter's 11. What is she going to be like when she's 16? It's not always hard. It's always, it's always what it is. It's always living right on. And um, like, like Wendell Berry likes to say, so um, jump in. Renee, I, agree. I know between <laughs> us, we raised, so I raised two girls, you raised three. Yeah. And yeah. I raised two boys, you raised three boys. So and I can't believe it. My oldest granddaughter just turned 13. I can't yeah, so. I have a 13 year old granddaughter. <laughs> um, so my daughter is, you know, she's in the thick of it now. Yeah. too. Um, yeah, that is so true. I mean, I, I remember those feelings like, if I don't tell you this, then you're never, ever going to hear it. So you better <laughs> listen because this will be the only time someone in your life will tell you this. And of course, that's not the only time. Um, but, you know, it, it's and then it's like when we finally figure out how to zip it when we need to, then they get older. And and now you're, you know, kind of walking that. It's, it's also a little balance because they're adults. 
Yeah. And you can't tell them all the things now either, because you're not really, we're not raising them anymore. That job is done. And so, and I, you know, I have one that says unasked for advice feels like criticism. And I'm like, okay, I hear that. Yeah. I think that means mom shut up and don't nag. Um, yeah, I get that too. So yeah, raising teenagers. It always requires grace. Grace. Yeah. And And I think if I had asked, maybe asked for for everything, I wanted to tell them every piece of advice that I felt like they just had to hear. I probably should have backed up and asked two or three questions Mm. for every one of those, you know, just stop, slow down. Are we really hearing each other here? Did I understand this or did I misinterpret this? You know, and um, and and just trying to help them navigate con- hard conversations, right? Yeah, Andrew was always really good at slowing down the conversation, asking questions, and I always, I think, was feeling like I only have a minute here. Like I just have to get this said now because I'm on to something else. So this is the moment. So we've got to listen. <laughs> I look back and I go, oh my goodness. Mm. Yeah. But you know, they only want to have those wonderful deep conversations at 1130 at night when you're exhausted. And then it's like, Lord, I thought I finally was going to get some sleep and you don't because (laughs) that's when they want to talk about the meaning of life. So of course we stay up and talk about the meaning of life because that's when they're up and they want to talk. (laughs) So we do. Yeah. I think I, I think I mentioned this on, um, our episode that we did on raising teenage boys, but I'll say it again because it comes from, it comes from Karen. Um, one of the things that you said, Karen, this is probably last year um, uh, talking about raising just in a conversation about raising boys. Um, and this is true for girls too. Um, when your teen wants to talk, talk. And that was so helpful for me. Girls actually, at least from my experience with my own girls, they are, <clears throat> They're just a little bit more open and chatty and willing to kind of talk through things. <clears throat> I have found with my boy, it's in, if there's like a small little window there and he starts talking, I'm like, just heaven and earth will stop, like stop and listen to him. Um, this happened the other night. It literally was 11 o'clock. And I was like, wow, wow, I am really tired right now. <clears throat> and he had, you know, he wanted to ask me about girls and this, that and the other thing. And it's like, this is it this is the time to talk. And we did, and it was beautiful. And, um, but again, like what, what, uh, Barry says here, there are so many times and like, I must, I must say this thing, like, nope, just let it be. Sometimes I, I don't know. Sometimes you can't help yourself. Right. Um, and, and maybe that some, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, maybe a lot of that is, in that transition years. So maybe we'll move, we'll move here a little bit from those teen years to the late teen years, early 20 years when they're, they're making a way for themselves. And Barry gives a chapter to um, each of these children, her children, um, as they are making their way in the world and talks about expectations. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe I'd love for you kind of to jump in on that um, real quick on page 116. Uh, there's a line that says to be a mother of a grown-up child means that you don't have a child anymore. And that is sad. And I was, I was even thinking about the other days, uh, you know, on your phone, the um, uh, photo memories will pop up. Yeah. Um, And you know, those memories pop up of like for me, when my kids were like toddlers and, you know, single digits, and that my mama heart is just like, 
look when they were little and children. And so that line just kind of gripped me to be a mother of a grown-up child means you don't have a child anymore. And that is sad. And letting that, like letting yourself be sad. Um, what was your, what was that like to say goodbye to these kids? And they're going to go live their own life now. Um, and we mentioned this last time, but maybe you guys can speak on this again on uh, page 130. She, um, we talk about for a while, especially if you have children, you shape your life according to expectations. That is arguably pretty foolish for expectation can be a bucket full of smoke. <clears throat> and then this is the living right on, right? You've got mm. to give over expectations. What was that transition like? And like, what words would you offer for, yeah, my son's graduates next year. So this will be my first. Uh, one, of the, one thing is the idea of how proud you are. I think um, for all of our kids, when they launched and they, they, they started to develop interests and pursue interests and do things that I had no idea, you know, like if I could have had a blueprint of their lives when they were like five or six, um, I don't know if they would have done the things that they chose to do. And so you're so, you're so in awe of their gifts and talents and their use of them and the, the challenges that they, they have to overcome. So there's a, a real sense of pride. There's also just a sense of sadness because those, those years of when they're just so little and cute and they, you know, they draw their little pictures and they say, I love you. That's where our grandchildren are now. Those years are so precious. And, and I think, I think, as you said, it's good to let yourself be sad about that. And at the same time, happy because they're launching into something good. So it's such a, it's such a mix. Like all of motherhood is a mix. So that's just one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, I don't know. I, I don't recall being really sad about any stage ending at the time. Cause I was happy to go on to the next thing. I was glad to get out of diapers. I was glad when they could put themselves to bed and brush their own teeth and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you look back and you think, wow, what I have, what I have pictured where they are now, you know, 20 years ago, or even when they graduate from high school. And um, I think Hannah or, or Barry talking in Hannah's voice is so wise about, you know, it's, it's okay to have expectations. I think we probably all have these, these ideas of what we think our children are going to do and become, but um, we hold them very loosely because expectations, if they are gripped, can turn into, you know, something suffocating and, and none of us want to do that. Like to, to somehow communicate to our kids that you must do this or you must be this way. Um, that's not a good place to be, but I think it's okay and human and normal to admit we have hopes for them. Um, and, and that's an okay place to be. And I think as long as we go to the Lord in prayer and, and ask for him to work that out in their lives, if it is his will and, and according to his timing, then that gives us a sense of peace as well, because it helps us to realize I'm not in charge of this. <laughs> I'm not in control of this anymore. Um, and I would say that's the one thing that homeschool moms, probably if I was going to offer a piece of advice, so, you know, 
since I'm not offering it to anyone in particular, you can't take it as criticism. Um, <laughs> you know, homeschool moms like to control things. We like to think we're in charge because we plan the curriculum and we plan the days and we plan the schedule and we plan everything. And we're not. <laughs> and we've got to learn when it's time to let that go um, and let them live their lives. So. Well, in some ways, that's maybe if you um, take out homeschooling and put in this agrarian life, it's it's the same thing, right? I mean, they've they've built this membership, this life. It's carefully curated in that it's all about um, the home and the land and the farm. And that's where you really see this struggle of her children going off and not being a part of that. And then um, how heartbreak, like her relationship with her grandchildren, you're just like with some of them, you're like, <gasps> like, I just, like, oh, I'm yeah. already excited about having grandchildren. And, you know, my kids are a long way off from that. Um, right. To me, it was heartbreaking because I love Christmas and gifts and everything. And when Hannah, Hannah couldn't figure out what to get them for Christmas mm-hmm. because she just didn't know them. Oh, that was so, so sad. sad. Um, but yeah, and that was their expectation. You know, we're going to provide this education for you because we feel it's the right thing to do. And, and I, you know, she and um, Nathan expected that they would come back um, and they didn't. And that was a huge loss for them. But there is redemption up ahead, right? There, there is a, a happy ending in it, part of a sense for Hannah, because one of them does come back. And, and that's very joyful to see. Yeah, so. So talk about the living right on. Um, you mentioned uh, expectations and on that same, that same page when it says expectations, shaping your life according to expectations is arguably foolish. She says, after your expectations have gone their way and your future is getting along the best it can as an honest blank, you shape your life according to what it is. And then at the end of that part on 131, Nathan says, Hannah, my old girl, we're going to live right on. We'll love each other and take care of things here and we'll be all right. Yes, I said, we're going to love each other and we'll be all right. And then it goes on to talk about their kids and them going off and what their life became. And they have this teenage, you know, their their daughter gets divorced and they have this teenage drug addict, grandchild. And what does, what does that living right on look like as your child lives their own, like for your own self, not for your child, but what are you filling your own life with? Because I often, I'll ask my friends this, when your kids are gone, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, that's that's the beginning. Like this is our life. Yeah, Hannah and Nathan have a relationship though, and it's beautiful. And that's what Nathan says: we're going to be okay, and we're going to live our life that we built because this is our life. Um, they're not living their their life, wringing their hands, worrying about all these children and grandchildren. I mean, they could, but it would cripple them, and it would render them useless to their neighbors and the rest of their community. So they can't. I mean, um, it's like you know, we're here, and home is here, and. And then later in the story, we see that they, that Hannah does open her home, but, but yeah, for those two, it's like the culmination of the foundation that they've been building all those years. Um, you know, and, they, they, and, and 
in that living right on, they have each other to lean on. And so it's not that there's, it's not that they're looking together one direction and leaving their family behind them and saying, you guys all take care of yourselves. Right, right. Exactly. They're not doing that, but they're offering each other grace to be sad about the situation with their kids or they're offering each other grace in his illness. They're, they're a team. And so they're facing the difficulties and the challenges that come with that period of life together. So I, that's, that's why they can live right now because they have each other. And, they, and then, you know, we would, we would also say that they have God. That's how, I mean, that's how for us, I think that's how it is. Mm-hmm. And there's this thin line um, between it, throughout this whole story, because death is such a part of this story, how she's, you know, her, her mother dies and then her first husband dies. And then as you come into part three, um, Nathan dies of cancer. There's this, there's this line, thin line in the story between this world and the next. And which is why I, I love how the book ends. Um, in that you have some of that, that, uh, and I have a, a couple of very dear friends who, um, lost their husbands, one in a tragic accident and one when, um, they're in their mid twenties and then another, um, late thirties, four kids lost her husband to cancer. <clears throat> and that's something they, they talk about how, when you experience that you have this understanding of the how thin the borders between this world and the next are when you have someone who is a part of you on the other side, how do you, how do you live? I mean, now you actually, Renee, you can speak to this a little bit in that you were saying how your, your mom is in the situation that many of her friends are now, are now dying. Um, how do you live right on when you are in a membership and you are, or in a marriage that you are so connected um, and as you said, Karen, there's, there's the, to get the togetherness, like we are together. We did, we conquered this together. We're going to live right on together. And then that person's gone. What does that living well look like then? So I, I'm going to answer this because th- this really happened this morning. And I think, you know, God, God does have a sense of humor, but um, I was just sitting down to read my Bible and I get a text from my daughter and they are just, they're going through a hard time right now with um, just, just a lot of just trials, trials, um, some illness and, you know, some, some uncertainties and, and, and it was like, she texted me and was like, now there's two more who are sick. And I was like, oh no, you know, and then I, I opened my Bible and I'm, I'm, I'm reading this verse in second Corinthians for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I was like, I, I know it's a light momentary affliction, but right now it seems really not light. It does not seem light at all. Um, but I needed that reminder, you know, that, that the Lord has that eternal perspective and that that's really what we need to have as well. Um, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen and, you know, and second Corinthians, that that chapter has just beautiful things to say about, we, we have to look to eternity. This is our body on earth that we're stuck with and it doesn't always behave itself, but there's more than what's what we're experiencing right here now. And I think that as we get older becomes more and more apparent 
to us and more and more of a truth to hang on to and, and to grasp, you know, to grasp onto, because that is a gift from the Lord, that reminder that there is more. Yeah. I think that's implied in the whole, this whole idea of living right on it's with our eyes on eyes of faith. We're able to, we're able to look toward the future, um, not with anxiety, but with faith. And so in the case of Margaret coming home, when Nathan meets her in the driveway and says to her, we'll live right on, he's offering that grace to her of saying, you know, come on home. We'll take care of you. And at the same time, when he says, we'll live right on to Hannah about the two of them, he's saying, we'll live right on with each other. We'll live right on with, with faith and in that grace. It's such a beautiful place. Well, then even after Nathan is gone, um, th- there's that part where, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kelly Crowley comes and visits her. And he says, well, surely, Mrs. Coulter, you aren't thinking of living on here by yourself. And she replies, I am thinking of living right on right here <laughs> by yourself. I just made sure you'd be going to live with Margaret or some of them. I'm still capable of looking after myself, I said. And of course, I'm looked after. Talks about Danny Branch caring and the place being taken care of. Um, but I, I don't know, that kind of hit me as being a part of the membership and having lived in this community. Um, again, there's just that thin line between this world and the next to say um, this momentary light affliction, right? I can keep going, like I like have courage. Uh, that reminds me of, you know, um, Courage, Dear Heart from uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader when they, it's like the light is there. Like, don't forget the light. And then as it, you know, as it wraps up with, with Verge, Virgie coming home, like just the beauty of that. And Renee, you were kind of talking about that earlier of just, it's such, it's such a story of, of loss, but in gratitude. And I don't know, like what, like share your thoughts of like the redemption when he comes home. Yeah, it was beautiful. Emily, you pointed out it's the prodigal son, but um, you know, Virgie is the one that seems like he's the one who really gets it. He really gets what the farm is about and what the community is about. And then they lose him and they don't even know where he is. But then one day he comes back and Hannah says, when you have gone too far, as I think he did, the only mending is to come home. Um, And that's what she could offer him. You know, here's your place. And she stepped into his life and it's kind of a beautiful echo and a bookend. She stepped into his life in the same way that her grandmother stepped into hers when she was kind of lost in it at odds. Um, you know, she, Hannah arranges with the neighbors to, to pay him to work and she gives him a place to live. And, and she says, you know, this is, this is going to be the form that your life takes right now. And it's basically her gift to him to provide him a way to get reintegrated into the community, into the family, into the membership. Um, she gives him a home. And, and I think that's our hope, you know, when he, we know Hannah's doesn't have much time left, we, you know, you can debate on the last, the last few paragraphs, whether that is actually her death or whether it is her getting ready to meet her death or she's close to death, but it, you know, nevertheless, she is about to die. Um, but, but she is, it's not the end of the, the Feltner family and the Coulter family. There is hope in the next generation. So did she find home you know it's like ends with this idea of homecoming and but it begins with this idea of losing home 
right? Like she's at the beginning of the novel, she essentially loses her home. She's mm -hmm. like kicked out of her home. Like she becomes yeah. the stranger in mm -hmm. her home. And then at the end, she is the one who is the welcoming home, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's the one who's like, well, then I will be the home to this lost, this lost child. And so as a, <clears throat> I only have a couple minutes left, but <clears throat> as a, a mom to adult children and teen grandchildren, <clears throat> What has that, like, how has that grown in you to be, how are you always a home as a mom? Like, how does that, what is that? One, yeah, one way is that, um, very simple practical way, is that no matter what, in my, in my experience, no matter what's going on, like, all of my kids will text me every time something bad happens. So this morning, I woke up to a text from Andrew John at like six something. And it said, I have mice behind my stove. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I have had way worse texts from you. So I'll just take that. And I just laughed and, and, you know, or other texts, somebody's sick or somebody has a fever. What should I do? Or, Oh my goodness. My, my, uh, my mortgage is going up because my homeowner's insurance is going up. And they went, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That happens, you know, and it's like, so I'm, it's kind of funny that every time something bad happens, I get a text and Andrew never gets those texts. He always gets texts about big ideas or something. But, so I'm really, I'm really glad that, you know, it's like, Oh, this terrible thing happened. I have to tell mom and not that I have an answer, but they just tell me, I think that's hilarious. I, I'm really, I'm really glad that they do that. Um, but also in the really big things, they can come home. And in the last couple of years, we've had, we've had them come home and Larissa came home with her girls. And that was really, really hard and really, really good. When people ask me what that was like, that's what I say. Um, really hard and really good. I mean, hard for her. That wasn't her plan. That wasn't her life plan. Well, it's like Margaret in this story. Um, but she, you know, there's grace and there's there's sunshine, the clouds are partying <laughs> in her life. And um, so that whole, the, the physical aspect of you can come home and then feeling like I'm a home to them and that they can they just tell me stuff, all the stuff. And, and one thing so I've, I've learned right? from... It's, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and, and it's going to sound like an opposite thing, but one thing, and I've actually learned this from my mom, um, Yes, you can always come home. There's always a place for you here. But at the same time, I've learned not to say you have to come home. Yeah. Like, oh, it's Christmas. You must all be here. Yeah, and that's a really good point. It's, it's like, nope, we would love to have you. And you know you're always welcome, but you are free to make your own decisions about where you're going to spend this holiday or this vacation. Um, and so far, it's working out really well. I mean, you know, sometimes they're all here and sometimes they're not. And I, I love it both ways. So that's okay. That's just whatever that, that particular year holds, but um, that's that expectation and hope thing, right? We, we can hope that they might all be here, but we can't put that pressure and that expectation on them. Yeah. I feel like the key word at this stage in my life is grace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just grace, grace with the grandchildren, oh. grace with whatever's going on. I'll just offer them grace. And some advice if they ask, but not if they don't ask. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the, like, that's the, the mother's heart of being the home. Like Karen, you said it, like in some ways I am their home. Right. And I think that's, um, perhaps that's the graceful mothering of adult children. I mean, your, your kids are adults longer than they are children. Actually. Yeah. I mean, you're, your mothering of adult children is longer than your mothering of little children. And it is grace to say, I'll, I'll be the home. If they come, they come. If they don't, they don't. But that's, I love just that, the whole long story that she has of becoming a home. And then um, Renee, you alluded to this at the end of, is it, is it a vision? Is it her death? It leaves it a little bit up in the air there in that she like Nathan is coming home to her. She's coming home to him and they just have, it's the givenness of it. And that's where we are. And it's the givenness. It's the living right on. Um, thank you for sharing. This was a beautiful conversation to share over this book. Um, if those of you who are listening, if you haven't read it, read it. Um, we did think it might be kind of fun to share a conversation um, about any comments you all may have or questions, thoughts that you want to throw out there. So we'll see if that happens. Um, you're welcome. We'll throw something up on Facebook that if any of you have been reading it or thinking about it or have any questions, comments, want to throw anything out there, uh, please do. And we'd love to keep the conversation going on that. But until then, here's to home. This will be our last episode for a few weeks. We're going to take a short break from recording in July for the Circe National Conference and for Renee's apprenticeship retreat. But we'll be back to record in August with some new content to encourage you as you start your new school year. And um, Renee, jump in here and tell us a couple of announcements that you have too. Yeah. Hey, friends. Um, just a reminder that Karen and I will be at the Searcy National Conference and we'll be hanging out at the Searcy table. So if you're there, please do come by and say hello and uh, let us meet you face to face and put some names and faces together. We would love to see our dwell friends at the conference. We've also got something exciting coming up. We have some coffee mugs that we have, or tea, if you're a tea drinker, um, coffee mugs we've designed and um, they're pretty neat and we can't wait to show them with to you. And so we'll keep them a little bit of a secret until you come see us at the conference. And the last thing I'd like to remind everybody is that registration is open for this coming school year for the hearth. And if you're not familiar with that, that is our Searcy community for homeschooling moms. And I have the privilege of leading that. We have a, our own dedicated discussion forum on Canvas. We meet twice a month in live webinars. One is recorded, and that's kind of our content-focused webinar, where we talk about what does it mean to be a classical Christian homeschooler. And then the second webinar every month is not recorded because that's just an informal Q&A, and it's a chance for us to be together and talk and share and ask each other questions, share if we need a little encouragement. And, and I will say this past year, we have grown into quite a lovely little community. So um, it's definitely something you can uh, start now. You don't have to do it multiple years, but if your homeschooling could use a little of encouragement, um, we'd love to have you. So if you'd like to check out the hearth, go to the Cersei website or send me an email. And that's it. We'll see y'all at the conference in July. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.